Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Robbie Denning, co-owner of Rockslide, published author, and mule deer fanatic. Robbie just released his new book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. We discuss the new book, why non-residents are good for hunting, adapting to changes in mule deer hunting over the years, how to become successful with tags being more difficult to get, and a story of the last two seasons with lessons learned from those hunts. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top, so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. 
It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, Coming to you on Tuesday here on the podcast. This is from Chase Harrington out of Michigan. So Chase wrote in and said, Hey, Bo, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and have learned a lot from you and your guests on the show. But I'm here to submit my story for the Mountain Buck Monday from the Michigan rifle season. I was hunting in the upper lower peninsula on public land on my third day. I noticed through the years of gun hunting and recently starting bow hunting up there and listening to your podcast that clear cuts were my main focus for this year. I listened to every podcast you talked about clear cuts and old logging roads. I knew that was going to be the ticket to harvesting a mature buck on Michigan public. On the third day, as I sat on my phone, looking at maps, pondering if I'm doing the right thing, I decided to take a walk through a clear cut on an old logging road. As I made my way down the trail, I then started bumping deer. It took me two and a half hours to cover only a half a mile. As I made my way to the back of the clear cut, it dumped into a swampy bottom and on the other side was a hard oak flat. In the swampy bottom is where he and I met. With rifle in hand and him only 30 yards, you can say he didn't make it far. But what I learned was I bumped a doe that was close to heat and he was coming to scent check that clear cut. Talk about right time, right place. This is my first public land buck and the first buck in nine years. You could say I went nuts when I saw him laying there. P.S. I shaved into the rut stash and look what happened. <laughs> well, that is an awesome story, Chase, and I appreciate you sending that in uh, from this this last season. And it's a beautiful buck. If anybody wants to check it out, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. Check that out. Uh, just a really cool buck and a lot of lessons to be learned from this story. You know, Chase took that information about clear cuts and logging cuts. And was able to apply it. it. Took his time while still hunting, going slow, moving methodically, going through the woods, and was able to bump into this big deer. A lot of lessons learned. And the last thing that you should take away from this is the rut stash does increase your odds of success by thirty-eight point two percent. So I would recommend giving it a shot this year. <laughs> But anyways, thanks for submitting the story, Chase. If you have your own story you want to submit, send me an email, bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. Send you know, a short paragraph or so and a couple photos along with it. Love to be able to share it on an upcoming Mountain Buck Monday. So thank you for submitting this story, Chase. In other news, the Prime Bow Giveaway, the Prime Inline 3 that I'm giving away, I'm going to be choosing the winner. The last date to be able to enter is this week, June 30th, 2022. To be able to enter, you can sign up for the email list that gets you one entry. Another way to get an additional entry is subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you do this, make sure you leave your name in the review. Now, I know not all platforms have a place to be able to actually leave a review, but like things like Apple Podcasts and, and such, you're able to... 
you're able to leave a review there. Just make sure you have your first and last name down below there. But give you know honest feedback on the podcast. I, I want to hear from you. There's been some awesome uh, feedback that I've gotten so far on it. Put that in there, and I'll be choosing the winner here shortly. The last way to be able to enter is go out to Instagram. If you have Instagram, go to my personal page at bow.martonic. That's B-E-A-U dot M-A-R-T-O-N-I-K. And look at the, the video giveaway I did and gives all the instructions I just listed out here. But uh, you're able to, to tag three friends in there and make sure you're following Prime Archery. Bo Martonic and East Meets West Hunt there, and you will get another entry. So you can be in up to three ways. If you're a Total Archer Challenge, you know that there was another couple ways that you uh, were, were able to be entered in. So, but anyways, that'll be coming up soon. I'm excited to be able to get to send the the bow out there. I did give away the the VIP tickets uh, for the Go Wild Send It Slam event, and unfortunately, all the winners that I was that I had chosen. None of them were able to to make it uh, to that event there, so uh, that that was unfortunate. But did give away those uh, those tickets to the Send It Slam event here coming up in a in a couple weeks. But I mean, it is it is kind of a short notice thing. So hopefully next time there, I'll be able to put something together a little bit further ahead of time, so you can plan something because I think that'll be a really cool event that Go Wild's putting on. Lastly, if you haven't checked out the new film on my YouTube channel called High Altitude, it's a Colorado high country mule deer hunt film. That is live. My YouTube channel is just under my name, Bo Martonic. You can go over and check that out. I'd love to see your comments, whatever you think about the film. It's a little bit different than a traditional uh, hunting film that I've put out in the past. There's a lot more education involved in this one. I wanted to create awareness around altitude sickness and be able to tell my personal story and what you can do to be able to help you out there. So there's a mix of some hunting in there and also some education. So I hope that you like it. Justin crushed it with putting together the edit on that one. All right. With that being said, I hope that you enjoy this podcast with Robbie Denning and have a great rest of your week. All right, so I'm back with Robbie Denning, who's been on the show last year. He's a co-owner and editor of Rockslide, author of Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life, and now your new book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories, and just an absolute mule deer fanatic. So, Robbie, thanks for coming back on, man. I, I'm glad to get to talk to you again. Yeah, well, you bet, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so, Robbie, you... um since since the last time we talked, I believe it was last August or so that mm-hmm. that we talked and and I'd saw on social media here recently that you were coming out with a new book and and I read I read your your first book last year as I was getting ready for my first mule deer hunt and really enjoyed it really enjoyed the story aspect of that book and and how you broke everything down so uh, I I'd love to hear a little bit about like the I guess the new book that you have coming out and what, what makes that different from the the last one that you had? All right. Well, you nailed it in the intro. It's, it's the same title, hunting big mule deer. That's kind of the theme of it. Um, and then the subtitle is the stories, the first book, hunting big mule deer, how to take the best buck of your life. It had stories in it, but they were just short little anecdotal stories to su- kind of support the point I was making and, you know, not really any long form stories. And, uh, that's what that book was designed to do is just more teach, you know, step one, step two, I think this way about this, this about this stuff like that. And 
I heard back from guys over the next couple of years that came out in 2015 that they really liked the stories that were in it. And I thought, wow, I didn't even really focus on that. You know, that was just to illustrate a point. So I started thinking about maybe just doing a book that was just long form stories and, you know, not much commentary in it and just let the stories tell the stories. And so that's what I started on. I started on it in 2018 with just um, uh, a story that I'd had in my head from back in 2006. Uh, got that on paper, sent it to the editor. She said, spot on. Now just multiply this by eight to 10 and you got a book. And so <laughs> I spent the next couple of years doing that and uh, really got after it last summer. You know, got, got all my thoughts together um, by that time. You know, I wanted to have a bunch of new material in it. So, you know, I've taken five or six big bucks since I published my last book. So I wanted to get those in there. And um, and since big mule deer hunting is not just success, but lots of failure, um, I, I picked a couple of stories where I wasn't successful because you can learn a, a ton from being unsuccessful. I mean, it's we don't think this way sometimes in America. You know, it's always win, 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 win. But man, you talk to anybody that's a winner, they've lost, lost, lost a lot. You know, that's what it takes. And so, so I wanted to get some of those stories in there too. So, so I ended up with, with seven stories in there, plus one bonus story at the end. And, um, out of that seven stories, I think five of them are, are successful on bucks, uh, two or not. Um, I think I got that ratio, right. It might be six to one. That last story, I definitely didn't get a buck, but that's that, that, that story is called the slump. It's my favorite one in the whole book because it's a, it's a picture of where I'm at right now. I'm in a great big slump. Um, <laughs> I haven't taken a deer, uh, in, in the last two seasons. And, and again, like I said, that's just, just winning takes a lot of losing and that's where I'm at right now. Um, so I, I got all that together, but as I was putting it together, I was thinking, you know, there's some other great mule deer hunters out there that, Maybe I should just reach out and see if, if they want to do a story. It was just kind of testing the waters to see if anybody would want to do it. And uh, so the first one I reached out to was Randy Ulmer. Uh, we were doing Rock Slides Cold Bow Challenge last year. That's that challenge we host every year where you just shoot one arrow a day, no practice, no warm-up, and um, see what your true maximum effective range is. And Randy came out for it. He was our lead shooter last year because that, that's kind of a concept he's endorsed for years. You know, it doesn't matter how good of a shot you are at the range and it, you know, total archery challenge. I mean, that stuff's all good. It, it really is. But what, what's your maximum effective range on your first arrow of the day? And if you're, you know, kind of not warmed up like it is with hunting. And so he came out for that. And uh, so I just asked him, would, would you want to do a story if I did a book like this? And he had been working on some stories already. So it was immediate. Yes. He's like, Hey, yeah. He goes, I've been writing some of this stuff along the lines of what I was talking about. Not, not just how to, but kind of how it unfolded stories. Mm -hmm. And so I think I asked him on like a Thursday, you know, well, okay. So, you know, send me something. He's a real busy guy. You know, he's, I knew he would follow through, but I didn't realize so fast. I think I had a story in 24 hours, you know, <laughs> which is evident that he'd been working on it. And uh, it was just a couple thousand words, and it was really good. It was a side of Randy Ulmer I've, I've never seen, you know, and it was just kind of his stream of consciousness while he's on a hunt, you know, thinking about life, thinking about buck hunting, chasing a big buck. Um, you know, all that stuff. And it, that just lit my fire even more. I thought, you know, this, this, this could work. 
And so then I started reaching out to, to other, other guys I knew, Ryan Lampers being one of them. He accepted and sent a story. Jared Bloomgren, he's one of our writers on Rockslide. He's just a real low-key guy. A lot of people don't know his name, but, you know, probably one of the most successful hunters on Rockslide per tag purchased. I mean, he just fills his tags and, and, you know, he's a multi, multi-weapon, multi-species hunter, but he does really well. He lives in South Dakota and, you know, it's a, a you know, not the, not the greatest mule deer state, but he makes it into that. And uh, so he sent a story in and um, gosh, I'm going to forget somebody, but I re- I reached out to, I think I have nine other authors in there. Um, Jordan Bud, she runs our podcast. She's kind of an up and coming mule deer hunter, but I wanted her perspective because, you know, she's had to, you know, come from, from, you know, a background that I didn't come from. I grew up in, you know, great mule deer hunting and she's kind of got stuck in the, where we're at right now and, and still figuring it out, figuring out how to, how to get good bucks. Um, Tony Treach, that's another yeah. writer at Rockslide, And, you know, he's, he's really got kind of a new thing going on with, with decoying mule deer and, and like, like no one else I've ever seen. And <laughs> so I asked him if he wanted to ride on, on that. And of course he did. Um, and, uh, he has a film out right now that we hosted on Rockslide. It's called in plain sight. Uh, people should go watch that. It's about decoying mule deer and white I didn't, tails. I didn't realize that came out already. Cause so Tony and I have become uh, pretty good friends over the last, I don't know, a couple of years that I had him on the podcast and we've just like really connected and he's been on quite a few times and I just love his, his style of hunting and, and he's just an absolute killer. So I, I definitely going to check that dude. out. Yeah. Go check that out. It's on the Rockslide channel. It's called in plain sight. I think, I think it came out in, uh, in February, we got it out and, um, it's a good film. Like they, they did a good job filming it too. You know, it's not just thrown together. It's edited. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's outdoor TV quality film and that's called in plain sight. And, and, and he, he kind of details some of those methods that he uses in, um, in, in, in chasing bucks that way. How did and, you get, uh, how did you get him to, uh, to agree to be on video on to be- <laughs> dude, it was the opposite, believe it or not. He, he had put it together with some friends, kind of the idea of it. Cause it was something different that was out there. And, um, he got a hold of us, you know, he's, he's on our staff at rock slide. Mm-hmm. So he's a contributing writer is what that means to be on our staff. And he, um, got a hold of us and wanted to know if we would we would sponsor it um the film and you know host it on our youtube channel and so that that's how that came to be okay. he actually he actually searched us out and uh so it worked out great i was happy to be a part of it and um while we're on that subject we're working on another one next year for him too um I, I won't release the details yet. We'll let him kind of get that out there, but he, he's going to do another one. Um, hopefully bigger than the one that we just did. Nice. Oh, that's, that's awesome. But no, sorry to uh, derail you oh, there. Okay. I just Tony's, I just, I look up to him uh, quite a bit and he's just a overall great guy and, and just gets after it, especially, you know, a guy from the East or the Midwest and heads out West every year on some pretty long excursions. So, Yep. He lives in Michigan and he comes out here and spanks all us Western guys every year. So yeah, he's a lot, lot to learn from. Yeah, definitely. A couple other guys I, I have in there is uh, another one that's, he's sort of well-known if you're, if you're on Monster Muley's, the, the website, but you know, other than that, you know, you don't hear a lot about him, but dude, he's probably one of the best buck hunters out there. And that's uh, Brian LaTurner of, of Monster Muley's. And the guy gets it done on big mule deer with any weapon that he picks up. Um, 
You know, he's not a flashy guy by any means. That's why he's not on a lot of people's radar. But, you know, I've studied him for a long time because I've been a, a member of that site. And uh, he just gets it done. He knows what he's doing. He's very focused. He only hunts mule deer. Um, so uh, he had a, a great hunt last fall. Uh, basically a four-year hunt on one buck. Now he was hunting other bucks during that time too, but he knew about this buck for four seasons starting back in 17. And, um, and this was a migratory buck, which makes that even harder to you know keep track of them over the years. You know, you just don't hear about a four year buck and, and he got him. And so I reached out to him and said, man, I would love, love to have that story. He had a, a version of it on his website that he had put on the forum and yeah, he polished it all up and added some new material and some good pictures and sent it in. And it's, it's a really good story to just, you know, read and just sit back and, and just think about how he pulled this off and just everything that went in, went into this buck. He had so many days in it and so many days with no sightings, you know, like it often is, which is where most of us throw in the towel and just, you know, kind of start thinking, oh, they're, they're Bigfoots, you know, you just can't find them. They just move, you know, they're, they're transitionary. They don't stay in one spot. And he kind of proved all that stuff wrong, you know? And, um, so that, that he's in there. Let's see who else have I got. Um, uh, a couple of young guys that are doing really well right now, Scotty Thompson. Um, he's out of Northern Utah, him and his dad, Mark Thompson, they own Thompson long range shooting school, um, Utah pallet, you know, business guys, but Scotty's just a dyed in the wool buck hunter, a young guy, uh, you know, in his thirties and, uh, d- dude, he's killed over 50 mule deer bucks. Most of them really nice to even giant bucks. And he, he, he just lives it. I mean, he's probably scouting today. You know, he's yeah. probably, fact i'm he's getting ahead of me man i shouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast spying on him and seeing what he's doing you know he's up to something i guarantee you but uh, he's just that kind of guy and and dude he killed two 37 inch bucks with his bow within just a couple years time i mean just just a feat that will never it will never happen again yeah two 37 inch bucks with a bow and dude we're talking on just average tags tags that you and i could probably get in a year or two of applying and and so he submitted those stories and then plus he you know, he did three stories in this book uh plus another one on a a, a rifle hunt that, that he did with him and a friend and and you know they killed a you know, five and a half year old buck a seven year old buck i mean he just gets it done that's why i wanted him in the book and um and then another guy, guy, my other friend, and I've hunted with him, uh, Travis Hobbs, natural born hunter on uh, Instagram. Um, another younger guy in his thirties. In fact, I think him and his wife are having a baby today. God bless oh. you, Travis. Um, uh, uh, same thing, dude. He just gets it done. He's the guy that killed the scar buck out of Wyoming a couple of years ago. And scar was that buck that everybody had been photographing on the winter range for years. Scar ended up, we lab aged him. He was eight years old. So, you know, people have been, he'd been big since he was four. Yeah. So, you know, he had a lot of seasons of, 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 of people seeing him on the winter range. Travis ended up killing him 70 miles from where he wintered. Uh, dude, almost just a little bit on blind luck. I'll, you know, I hate to assign luck to, to any of these these buck hunters because there's there's always luck but they don't rely on luck well he turned this buck over on a scouting trip in the summer with really no knowledge of where the buck summered nobody really knew where the buck summered maybe one or two guys and and he found him in the summer and um, stayed on him throughout the fall and 
like it is with big deer, you know, kind of lost track of him and everything and ended up getting him, you know, kind of right towards the end of the season. And just, just a giant buck, you know, this was a 210 buck at one time was like a 230 buck, you know, he'd regressed a little bit in his final years and he killed him in 2017. And that was a very, very hard winter in the West. In fact, we're still kind of healing up from that winter, 2016, 17, he killed it in 17, which shows those big bucks can survive those winters. And, um, that's a really cool story. It's called, it's called, uh, bad winter bucks, the legend of scar. And, and he's got some other, other bucks in there that he was chasing right around that time too. And, uh, so just lots to learn, um, from, from, from that big array of riders that are in there. And, and what I did on most of the stories was, you know, I just couldn't help myself. You know, I, I'm still a how-to guy. And, so after each story, I just included a short section on kind of the takeaways of, of that story of, you know, what I like on my own stories, like, Hey, what, this is what I recommend you take away from this story. But then on the other, other stories, I think I did everybody's, but Randy Ulmer's and uh, Ryan Lampers, you know, there's kind of stood on their own. Um, just, you know, look, notice what Jared did on this stock and, you know, notice, notice what Scott does, you know, in this situation, just things like that. So that guys had, just some solids, you know, to, to take away from it. Maybe a couple of months later, they could say, you know, what was that story about again? They could just open the book and kind of read the takeaways yeah. of it, you know, and get the, get the cliff notes uh, of that story. So, um, so that's kind of the whole story angle of it. And then I did include a tips and tactics section in the back. Um, I don't know, eight to 10 different uh, articles on just, just, just single subjects, um, you know, the rut and, you know, uh, rut dates, you know, what they mean in the mule deer world. I hear you guys, whitetail guys, you know, you got the rut dialed in like crazy. You know, I talked to my whitetail friends are like, oh yeah, the moon is, you know, waxing gibbous and it's November 7th. That means the does are going to be in estrus at noon. I got to be in my tree stand at 11, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, we don't even talk about that stuff with mule deer. In fact, I still hear, hear guys arguing about whether there was even a mule deer rut, you know, <laughs> they didn't rut much this year. I'm thinking, dude, we're talking sex here, man. They rut every year, yeah. man. I promise you. <laughs> They're you not know? skipping out on that. <laughs> exactly. And so, so I did a deep dive, like a 5,000 word article on, on all the research I had done on, on, on the mule deer rut. And, you know, just, just things like that are in that tick tips and tactics section and then you know as the editor of rock slide you know i'm privy to a lot of the the good gear that's coming down the pipeline you know the new stuff so i tried to focus uh you know four or five different articles in there on on just kind of the things that are that are moving the needle like the btx system from swarovski and you know the super lightweight gators from first light um aluminum versus carbon tripods you know that's kind of always a a head-to-head on rockslide guys are fighting about you know you if you get on there if you want to start a fight on rockslide get on there and talk about a 6.5 creed more uh, <laughs> foc or aluminum versus carbon or you know you, versus you, mechanicals oh dude that one too how'd i forget about yeah. that yeah we got we got a whole a couple of colts on there you know doing battle about that but but anyways i did this huge test a couple of years ago um outdoorsman versus slick and i mean i took a lot away from that test too so i went ahead and wrote an article up on that for the book and um so that's that's all of it and then like i said the last story in the book which is my favorite it's called the slump um, that just kind of a, a detail of my last couple of years and, you know, kind of what I'm going through as a, as a big mule deer hunter and, you know, the struggles, man, it's, yeah. it's just the struggles, you know, and I used to get so discouraged about it, but I've, as I've gotten older, I've kind of learned that, you know, this is what we do. We're not always going to win and, and we get a little spoiled when we do. So this is okay. 
I'm going to be a better hunter for it. Yeah. And, and so yeah, that's, that's interesting. And the, the one thing I like about the idea of this book, and I'm excited uh, to be able to get to read it because I, one of the things that I've gotten feedback through the podcast and me personally is like people love stories and then pulling things out of it that you can learn from. Like that's for me too, I learned the best of like hearing a story and then doing it. Cause you know, blanket tactics are great and that gives you that foundation, but this really shows how it, you know, you can apply it in a real world scenario and you know, how, you know, someone like yourself or the other writers that are super successful, like they're, how they're thinking of things and adjusting the things and as they go. And I, I think that's, I think that's really cool. Nailed it. That's the whole the whole foundation of the book right now. You know, people learn from stories. Stories give your give your your tips and tactics legs, is how I look at it. Like you said, you know, we can talk about tips and tactics, you know, glassing with the sun at your back in the morning, you know, you know, looking to the west in the morning because the sun's sun's behind your back. You know, that's just kind of a, a foundation of glassing. And, but you, you know, you weave that into a story and how it worked and, you know, how you, how you did it and everything. You'll remember that people will remember that for a long time. You know, that's, that's the power of stories. Hey, I, I have to give you credit for this. So I was just, I was just in Montana a few weeks ago. I was bear hunting and uh, we were looking at a glassing point. And that was one of the things when we went up to this spot, cause the first day that we got in there, uh, th- things looked a little bit different than, than we had expected on the map, but we got in and, and it was like, just kind of getting a feel for how this basin laid out and got in there later in the day, got camp set up and just went out to glass for a little bit and was glassing towards the sun on the first, <laughs> as it was coming down over the hill. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. obviously remember that because I talked to you about that last year. So as mm-hmm. we p- yep. pivoted later in the hunt and found this glassing knob for the evening that was up on this side facing the, I guess it would have been facing east and facing uh, east. Yeah, facing east or southeast. Face, yeah. yeah, yep. And then so we did that and then ended up finding finding the bear that I ended up killing the next day from that spot. And it was just like I, I just I thought of that when we were when we were up there glassing as far as reading that article you had on Rock Slide and then you and I podcasting about it last year. Yeah, that, that that's right. Yeah, we broke that down, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Cause I, I completely um the whole glassing game is relatively new to me in the last few years. Like my first, you know, even three years at elk hunting, it was all just thick timber stuff. And I was just kind of moving around and, and until I went to Idaho and had some more broken country, I started glassing a little bit. And then once I went to Alaska and, and then coming back and really getting into that, that whole, and then hunting mule deer last year, getting into that glassing game, it's been, it's been nude. It's new to me. There's a lot more to it than, you know, just sitting behind binos and, or spotting scope and looking at things. So it was, it was really helpful. And I just thought I'd mention that as we were talking about it. Hey, well, good to hear, dude. Yeah. That's the thing about glassing is, you know, you can get on Google earth and, you know, do all this planning and stuff and find all these places to glass from, but that doesn't mean that they're available all day. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a, the place to be at certain times because of that sun angle and the way, the way mule deer, you know, and all animals to some degree, but you know, mule deer, uh, move with the sun. And, um, so yeah, that's stuff I'm still, I'm still learning it myself, but you know, I go back, you know, 25, 30 years ago and, I didn't even think about that stuff and and therefore glassing was real hit and miss, you know, where the more you fine tune it, you know, it's, it's not going to be successful every time, but you're just, you're just, you're just putting yourself in in, in a position where it's going to work better. If you're, if you're thinking about what the sun is doing. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, so one, th- one thing I wanted to ask you about is how your last season went and, you know, talking about that kind of diving a little bit in the last story of what the book is with the slump mm-hmm. and going through, uh, that process, because I did read, you know, last year you still, you picked up, you had three tags, I believe. Is that, I gotta that think here. Let's see one, two, three. Yep. You had three tags and with, with tags being, you know, becoming more difficult to find and stuff during the West. I, I, I loved that article that you had wrote and I, I believe it was titled focus, uh, something about yes. like, just like adapting to the times. I mean, you've been hunting mule deer since the late seventies and you've seen a lot change through those times, but have been consistently successful. You know, so like th- those, those types of things really resonated, you know, with me. And I, I love that mindset. It's like, you know, you can anybody can complain or bitch about how things are going, but the the ones that have been successful are still successful. So it's, it's, you know, there's, there's always ways to, you know, adapt and overcome those different things. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, that article, I just released it, I don't know, this spring. It was called Focus, the Great Equalizer. And, you know, for non-resident hunters right now, it's, it's, it's becoming tough to be a non-resident. It's just, you know, trying to get tags and, you know, the, the, the residents of the states are thinking that they're not successful because the non-residents are there. Uh, this has been a battle going on since I was a little kid. I mean, I remember my uncles and dad, you know, go hunting somewhere, man, they saw a Utah plate, you know, you thought that, uh, you know, the unpardonable sin had been committed, you know, what's this guy doing here in Idaho? And, you know, it's just been a battle for years. And yet states have always had a a certain set aside for non-residents, you know, just anywhere between, you know, 5% of tags on the low end, you know, maybe like New Mexico or or Oregon up to, you know, a a state that might be real generous, like 35% of the tags. And so, you know, there's always been that limit on them, but the last couple of years, you know, there's been some residences who just got a wild hair that are just like, no, we got to have even less non-residents. I saw too many. And, you know, that's, that's up to them. It's their state. They can do whatever they want. 
Um, but, um, you know, I'm a non-resident to a lot of states and I hunt with non-residents in my state. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the angle. I still think there's enough out there for all of us, but whatever. Um, they're, they're, as they've clamped down on them, um, that whole article focused the great equalizer was just about, I'm still betting. And I, and I know this that you'll get more tags than you can effectively hunt. All right. And so what has changed in the last 10 years is points don't really mean much anymore. 15, 20 years ago, you know, build points, build points, build points. Now, if you get above about three or four points, you're just getting into no man's land. You know, you're not gonna, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in for the long, long haul as in, you know, you may get your notification um, uh, on your deathbed that you finally drew unit 44 in Colorado or whatever, you know, where, you know, 15 years ago, we were all building points for, you know, Ponsagant and, um, and, you know, Elk Ridge and, you know, all these things you hear about, man, I don't even think about those places anymore. It's just like pointless. You know, we've, we've, we've essentially priced ourselves out of them with points. And, and, and that's a whole nother subject of why I'm not all, all big on, yeah, let's make the whole West draw so everybody can get a big buck because you won't, you won't get a big buck. You will be sitting on the sidelines, bitching and moaning that you can't draw. When, when, when we go too far that direction, now I'm not saying we shouldn't manage mule deer and all that. I, I totally am, but I'm just that. So that article, you know, I, as I was talking to this, this winter to the, some of the, you know, the buck hunters that I know, I'm like, okay, so, you know, everything's changed now. It's harder to get tags. How's it going for you? Every one of them told me how oh, there was still a tag I, I had and I didn't give it the right effort. I couldn't get to it. I didn't even go, you know, I, I drew it and I thought I was going to make it. And I ended up on this other hunt. <laughs> so that just kind of showed me, right. And, and that's the same stuff that's happening with me is I, like, yeah, I can still get more tags than what I can even do justice to. So, so I, my, you know, my, my whole point in the article was let's just focus, do a good job on the tags we can get. You're probably still going to be going mule deer hunting every year, even as a non-resident, if you'll, if you'll play the draws and not get so hung up on having to have the best tag that was on the front of, you know, Eastman's magazine. I know this guy killed this in unit, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got to go there. It's the only place that you can kill a big deer. We do that. I've done that before myself. No, no. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of big bucks in, in most of the units around. Um, yeah, maybe they're not going to get you on the front of a magazine cover, but who cares, yeah. you know, or we, we, we just want to hunt. And so that's what that, that article was about. And, you know, I won't name any names, but I, you know, I surveyed three or four different guys, you know, before I wrote that and they were all like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm still getting tags. Yep. It's not as easy as it was, but if I just, the whole name of the article focus, if I'll just focus on it. I'm going to be hunting. And, you know, every state has a turnback system now, just about, you know, there's way, there's still ways to get tags. And yeah, sometimes you got to open your wallet up that landowner tag. I got in Colorado last year. It was, you know, a couple thousand bucks. That was a pinch. There was, you know, 10 years ago, I couldn't have done that, but you know, I, I focused, I focused in my job. I focused in my finances. You know, I've, I've made sure that, you know, I've, I've, I've got these, these, th- this money set aside if something like that comes up. The other two tags, by the way, were, you know, one was $25, one was $300. You know, I'm I'm still picking them up, but I'm not hunting great areas. You know, that's that's the other thing that you know, we, 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 something has to give a little bit. And the great areas, they've all been picked up by the high point holders. You know, the twenty thousand dollar landowner tags. Yep, that that that's that's a that ship has sailed. There's not a lot we can do about that. And in fact, the thing I think we can do about it is let's quit creating areas like that. 
Yeah. You know, let's, let's make sure that, you know, maybe the hunting's not quite as great, but you know, the, but the, cause the barrier entry is lower, but you know, then we, then we got more people mule deer hunting. That's your thing too, is we cut people out, cut people out. And you know, this is why I'm not willing to say, Oh, screw the non-residents. We don't need them. Hey man, these non-residents join the elk foundation. They join the mule deer foundation. And, and I've seen it on rock slide. A lot of these guys the last couple of years are like, okay, fine. You guys don't want me. I'll just stay in Alabama and I'll hunt white tails and I'm not joining your, your organizations and I'm not buying your licenses. Well, that's a short term, uh, 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 win for us, isn't it? You know, we have great. I didn't even see that guy from Alabama this year, but, but now we're not funding mule deer. So, so anyways, it's a whole, it's a whole big hornet's nest. And I was just trying to give guys hopes with, with that article that if you focus, you're probably still going to be hunting more days than you even have off work. You know, and, and I, uh, I I'd saw some statistics and don't quote me on them, but it was something like with most of the Western states, it was like 70% of that, that cash that, that they get from tags comes from non-residents versus like mm-hmm. 30 to residents where it's, it's flip-flopped a little bit on the whitetail side of things, but it, I was like, man, that's, that's a big deal. Like for conservation efforts and being able to fund all of these different things. Like there's, there's a lot that comes down to it, not just the amount of people that are, that are in the, you know, in the field, so to speak. And, you know, even, and I, I have very limited experience with mule deer, but you know, even the, the area that I hunted last year, wasn't a hard to draw type of area. And there was, there was a decent amount of pressure there, but it just took, you know, moving around and, and being able to, to figure that out. Not me specifically, cause I ended up, as you know, <laughs> in the hospital yeah. there with uh, right. the altitude yep. sickness, but my, my buddies that were in there they ended up taking one nice buck out of there. And, uh, and, and same thing with, with the elk side of things, like it, it was an area that was easy to get an elk tag. And, and I had two days of hunt after I was able to feel better and stuff and gotten an elk right away. Like it's just, it's just what you what you want to do and how you want to look at things and and be able to figure it out it might just take it take a little more effort than than uh at one time or maybe not more effort but a uh, different focused effort it does dude and and that's the thing is like you you guys you know come out for your friend that got the nice buck last year he's where's he from he's from Pennsylvania okay so dude you he comes all the way to Colorado from Pennsylvania and shoots a nice buck with his bow do people realize the day and age we live in? That is awesome. Yeah. That can still be done. But, you know, go, go jump on the forums and look at the naysayers. Oh, my God. They're, they're, all the deer are dead and the non-residents killed them all. I mean, it's just like, oh, my gosh. There's just such a disconnect there on what's available if you get out there and do it. And, and by the way, everybody, I've been hunting since the late 70s. It's always been hard to find good mule deer always there's always been competition there's always you know things i mean our weapon systems are better now our our gear is better that's kind of made up for a few things but you know i remember going out and you know in the 80s and hunting with socks on my hands and i could hunt as long as i could till the socks got wet you know we're now (laughs) flip i got i got an extra pair of gore-tex gloves in the pack and you know, I mean, there's just, there's just so many advantages that we have and, you know, hunting is not doomed the way I look at it. And, and so, so, you know, when, 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 when I hear this whole, you know, shift against just, you know, let's, let's, let's clamp down on the non-residents. I'm like, well, let's just be real careful with that because we need those guys. And, um, and, you know, there's always, there's always been pressure up always, always. If you look at the, what you just, you just talked about, about non-residents funding, um, a big part of the state's budgets, even if it's not 70%, it's, it's 
it's very significant. A lot of these Western states really rely on that non-resident dollar. And so the argument I hear from the other side is, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll cut the non-residents back and we'll pass those costs on to the residents. Have you tried to raise a deer tag for $5 for the residents? I mean, this is the problem. It's all the hardcore, the, the hard, the hard guys that are, that are, that are pushing that. Cause like, well, I'll pay 300 for a resident tag. I know, but this dude down the street right here. Yeah. It's not the majority. Takes his kids hunting one weekend a month. He, he one weekend of the fall, he's not going to pay 300 and believe it or not, there's a whole bunch of those guys out there, way more guys out there than there are like me and you. And we need them. We need them. We need them to fund this. They they don't impact the resource that much, and um, and and yet they pay their way. And, and and so to just pass these millions of dollars of fees onto residents, all I can tell you is it's been tried before since I was a little kid, and it very rarely happens. Look at the resident fees versus the non-resident fees. If you don't believe me, yeah. And if you think you're going to get those those two closer together. I, well, I, I <laughs> let saw, me know when you do. I saw it in Pennsylvania. So like we had, I, I believe it was the, the PA game laws, like the, the book that they send out, they started charging like $2 and 75 cents, something su- oh, it's so insignificant to it. And I had never, I never heard so much complaining about having to buy yeah. that book. I'm like, yeah. really? So like when you complain yeah. about all these people that come in during rifle season from other States and other places, this is what, uh, you, you know, how, how do you expect this stuff to be funded? <laughs> when- exactly, dude. That's what I'm talking about right there. And they're sitting there drinking a $5 cup of coffee going, I am not paying $2 for those regs. And you know what? I almost guarantee the game and fish. They're just trying to cover their costs to, so yeah. they can free that money up to, you know, go, go uh, uh, improve some Aspen habitat or something. Yeah. You know, I mean. So anyways, yeah. I'm kind of getting off in the weeds yeah, here. Sorry about that. But I, uh, no, that's good. I, I just, I, I just think it's something that, uh, you know, should be talked about a little bit there, but so going back to your 2021 season there and, you know, having three tags and it's not like you had landowner tag, probably, uh, over the counter tag and maybe a tag that it took a couple points to draw or something like that. Yep. Yep. So you, na- you nailed it. Okay. Well, so like based off of that and did you, what, what, how'd your season run down? I guess, give me a little bit of a, a background on your season. Well, the whole story, the slump starts back actually in 2020. Okay. So that was the first year I hadn't taken a big mule deer in like five or six years. And, you know, I've, I've had a, a, an off year here and there. I think, uh, 97, I didn't get one. 2006, I didn't get one. And 2020. So the end, the end of 220, um, my, my last hunt was in Colorado. I was with Travis Hobbs, natural born hunter. And, um, we went to a unit that I hadn't hunted for about 20 years. And, um, uh, again, kind of had to just accept a lesser tag, but I told Travis, man, I, I know this place. I know some guys that have hunted it and they're still doing pretty good on deer. Let's just go tear it up. So we went down there and, um, it was a little different than when I'd been there for 20 years, uh, before obviously some of the road closure changes, which, which were actually a good thing. And, um, there was a burn, which had moved some of the deer a little bit. Um, and it took us, we, we, we third season was seven days. We were there nine. So we got there two days ahead. It took us a couple of days to kind of get reacquainted with it. And, but immediately we started finding pretty nice bucks, no, no giants, but nice bucks, 160 in the 170 class. So, you know, kind of, kind of tickling your fancy, you know, you know, if you're seeing those, there's probably better ones available if there's heavy cover and there was, 
Um, so we hunted throughout the week. Jordan Budd filmed that. It's called Hunting Big Mule Deer with Travis and Robbie. It's on the Rockslide channel. And um, as we got down to the last couple of days, Jordan had to leave. So we didn't catch this on film. But um, Travis kind of figured out where some deer were using um, a North Face slope uh, on a burn, which North Face slope in November is usually not a very good place to hunt. But, you know, I think the burn had gone through there and it was just attracting deer. Well, Travis pussyfooting around in there comes across a great big old buck track um and i think this was the second to last day or the third to the last day and uh he kept pussyfooting around in there for a couple hours and got up on these deer uh, i'm we we're assuming it was the same track that he found and um finds this big buck bedded down with a bunch of does and he hammers it um kind of extra hammers it like shoots one of the cheaters off you know um uh, stuff like that. that happens when 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 deer uh when you're hunting deer but anyway so he gets it back down to the truck and i was off hunting on another place another mountain and uh, so i didn't get down there till about dark and uh, he had texted me and said it, that, he, that he got a good buck and i got down there and dude it was this heavy old nasty looking thing and you know we're looking at it looking at its teeth and we're like man this is an old buck you know we, we can tell and so i'm i'm like all fired up you know it wasn't very wide you know it was you know on on, on its decline is kind of what it looked like of course we lab aged it later and it was nine years old. So we were right. I mean, that's an old, old mule deer. And, um, so Travis is like, dude, I, there are other bucks in there. He goes, I saw, you know, multiple, multiple sets of, of tracks indicating dozer in there. You know, this is mid November. He says, you know, I, I think that's where you should hunt. I said, okay, last day, let's go in there. So the last day he dropped me off on top and it was the kind of place where you could just hike off the top and just hunt your way down. You know, you're hunting at like, 10,000 feet and dropping down to like 8,500. So it's pretty steep. And he was going to go back and break down camp. So he went back and, um, I, I, I worked that slope throughout the morning. It took me about an hour to get into deer and I started getting into tracks and, you know, the snow is really powdery. So you're not really tracking them. You're just like, okay, there are deer here. I got to slow way down. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still hunting through this area, just keeping an eye on the sign. And I come up on a little bench and there was some burnt timber below me. And I, I, I glassed a, a doe, um, in some really tight cover and some burnt trees down there. And I could just like see her butt and see the back of her head. So I slowed way down. This took like 10 or 15 minutes, only about 15 degrees. So, you know, it's cold. You can't stand a long time. And I, I finally got glass on her and a couple other deer. I'm like, there's a little herd of deer right there. And this is getting to be like, you know, 11 in the morning, you know, they've, they've bedded down. And as I'm watching, all of a sudden she gets up, you know, and they just have this, they're just very aware. I, you know, she probably heard me take a step or something. I'm about 120 yards from them. She gets up and she's looking around, you know, like they always do. And all of a sudden she starts going around nosing up all these other deer, you know, getting them out of their beds and everything. Like we're going to get out of here. So, you know, I, I flipped my 270 around and got ready, you know, in case something's in there. And sure enough, I glass a big buck standing there looking back up the hill at me. I can just see his face and I can see, gosh, I think it was his right antler he's facing me. So, and I can, you know, follow that antler up. I'm still looking at him. I got my rifle ready, but I'm looking at him in my eights real quick. And I'm like, you know, that's a nice buck. It's not a giant buck, but that's like a 26, 27 inch buck, you know, older buck. I can tell by his face. I'm like, it's like, you know, there's four hours of season left here. You know, I, I need to get this done. So I'm, I, so I got on him. Um, I'm shooting, I'm shooting a, a vortex a G4 scope, which has got a dot in the center. And so I, I got the dot on him. And as I'm looking through my scope, I can see all these branches sticking down off of a burnt tree that's kind of between us i'm like i'll flip i'm gonna i'm gonna hit those branches so i i try to i try to get down low to shoot underneath and then i can't see him very good 
And, um, and you know, he's, he's amped, he's ready to go. You can tell by his body language, you know, he's not just going to lounge around there. And, you know, I can see other deer kind of moving off. I'm thinking, man, I got to hurry. So I, I come up on one knee and it's kind of a jacked up kneeling position, not very stable. I had to get my elbow high so I could get the, 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 the butt of the gun up high enough to, to see him. And I, I finally can see his shoulder. He's, he's quartering to, towards me. I can see his neck and his shoulder. So I put that dot on his shoulder and kind of let it settle and it was sort of steady but you know i'm running out of time boom i let him have it and i'm thinking you know he's just gonna drop you know 270 winchester short mag you know he's going down and um you know when i shoot you know i'll you lose sight of everything and you know i, I jack another shell in and i look and i can't see him there and off to the right i see deer streaming through the timber there goes two there goes three here goes two more and he's with them. I see him and man, he's pretty nice. It was the first time I can really, really see him. And, uh, you know, he's got a nice V shaped rack is, is how I remember. And I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's all of the width I thought he was and he might even be better. And I tried to get on him, you know, I, I just had enough time to swing and, and, and then he was in the trees. I couldn't shoot at him, but I'm like, you know, he's dead on his feet. I just need to give him a few minutes. So, you know, I waited, I don't know, five, 10 minutes and then headed right to his bed is what I did first. I wanted to track him from his bed and man, I get down there at his bed you know, I'm expecting to see hair blown all over the place and, you know, pick up my blood trail and go, you know, I'm ready to notch my ta- my tag is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, uh, dude, no blood, no hair. I'm like, well, I've had that happen before too. So it, it took a little bit of time to ferret out his track. And I, and I found it in where his bed was, even though it was powdery snow, he had stood in his bed and it was a pretty big track, not a giant track. We're not talking a 350 pound deer, but you know, a 250, you know, a bigger buck, you know, four or five year old buck somewhere in there. So I find his track and, and, I, and I start following it out and it's a little hard to follow because of the powdery snow and I'm thinking I'll pick up blood here in the next few minutes. Nothing, nothing, nothing. We'll fast forward about an hour and a half. I, I tracked the herd of deer, not necessarily him, because I could never tell which track was his over into a gully that dropped off the side of the mountain. Well, the gully was full of burnt timber and it was very scattered. So it was easy to hunt, hunt along the rim and look down in there. Man, I'm finding deer down in there, you know, a few deer. Um, and I hunted all the way down that gully and I never caught up with him. He wasn't hit. There was no doubt. I mean, I tracked this deer a couple hundred yards in his tracks, 150 yards in his tracks. And then a few, you know, like 500 yards of open slope. And I just didn't hit him. I didn't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, it was just a, just a bad mess, you know, at 120 <laughs> yards, you know, what a bummer. So anyways, I call that strike one. All right. So that's the end of 2020, you know, that's it the end of your season, nothing you can do about it. And it, it's where I had to kind of start getting my mind adjusted that, Hey man, we, we don't always win at this game. At least I had a chance, had a great hunt with Travis. So, um, um, 2021 last year rolls around, um, no good tags drawn, tried to redraw that tag and, and just didn't get it. You know, it's a low point unit, but you still take a year or two to get it. So I thought, well, we're out on that. That's why I ended up picking up that uh, Colorado landowner tag. And, um, and then I just had over, over the, basically over the counter, very easy to get tags, you know, right around here. And so, um, scouted all summer. Um, gosh, I don't have my journal here. I think I scouted, I scouted over a hundred bucks. Yeah. Over a hundred bucks I'd seen between, you know, now and getting into archery season. So archery season rolls around. I still didn't have a shooter nailed down. I knew where some nice bucks were, but not a shooter. And so usually if I'm in that mode, I just archery turns into scouting. I'm still looking at bucks. I'm not just focusing on one buck. That's 
that's the golden ticket. That's what I want to do. I just want to focus on one buck. I want to put all my effort there, but I just hadn't found something I wanted to tie my tag on. So I went to another spot that I had been to in July that I'd seen some bucks in and it's just big, nasty country. And it's, you don't see all the deer when you go there, you know, you have to give it a couple of trips. I thought I need to go back there. So I went there for archery season and, um, I was there in a spot close to it. I spent about six days moving through that country and I was the 107th buck. That's why I, I remembered how many bucks I'd seen last year. And on, uh, it was on labor day last year. And, and, and I'm up in some cliffs glassing down into this really rocky basin that sometimes has some bucks in it. Um, and you can't really stalk them. Um, down in there it's too rocky it's too noisy but if you see them down in there you know they don't they don't stay there the whole time you know it's just a good place to catch them it's yep. what i call a buck pasture if you read my articles it's a buck pasture there's always bucks there and so um i'm i'm, I'm checking it out on labor day morning and boom i see a big body deer down there feeding um he's he, he, he's sideways to me which is always hard to judge a deer and you know i'm looking at him he finally steps out and i can see he's got a tall rack you know 18 19 inch g2s which is a very tall mule deer and um uh, you're yawning i'm not putting you to sleep I'm no like, you're long not. story okay bro, <laughs> just making sure man get some coffee man because i'm I'm going to go for a minute here. And so, um, he's, he's real tall and I'm like, okay, that that's, that's definitely a good buck, but I can't see, see anything else. And he's all by himself. Perfect for a bow hunter. So I'm watching him and, and dude, he finally turns. He kind of looks up kind of past me a little bit and dude, he's got inlines. He's got a good cheater. I'm like, you know, that buck is gonna, gonna gross in the low one nineties. You know, he's got a one eighty frame. He's got some junk, you know, this is what I've been looking for all year. And so, um, not a lot I can do about him. I'm watching him and just thinking, well, you know, just watching for a couple of days to see, see if he gets in a stockable position. And I noticed a couple minutes later, there was a little two point buck to come walking up just below him. And I thought, okay, well, he's not alone. Um, you know, what's going on here. And he, like those big bucks are, they always key off those little deer, you know, they watch those little deer, you know, that's just an extra set of eyes in here. So he's watching the little buck. This goes on, you know, not, a, not a long time. We're talking probably five to eight minutes between when I spotted him and this happens. Um, but all of a sudden. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. He just looks up to the, to the, to the top of the basin, which is to my right, and he's staring. And I'm all, I'm actually thinking, oh, man, are there some other bow hunters in here? You know, because he's, he's looking on high alert. And I'm thinking, is he, is he, is he going to? 
you know, bust out of here. There are guys up there. I can't really see where he's looking, but I know what's up there. It's a big, big open ridge with a saddle on it. And he's just watching it. And I finally decided, you know what? He's not spooked. He's making up his mind. He's going to head that way. He's checking to see if the coast is clear. He's already broke away from the little buck. The little buck kind of moved down the hill. And, and I thought, you know what? I better get up there in case that's what he does. And so, dude, I just leave my spotter. I'm looking at him through my, 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 my spotter. I just leave it laying on the ground and take off. I don't have any time. And um, I've got about 150 yards to go to my right up the ridge. And I got to circle around. And, and try to get to that saddle that I think he's going to cross. And so I, I get up there, I get on the backside of the mountain, you know, breathing hard, you know, trying to calm down. And I, I wanted to put on my stalking shoes, you know, just so I could move quiet, more quietly. But I'm thinking, I don't even have time to do that. So I just grabbed them. You know, they're the wool gulu stalking shoes. I, I pulled them out of my pack and just, just hung them around my neck and took off, left my pack and everything laying on the ground and uh, headed for that saddle. I had to go about another 50, 60 yards. And I got down to the saddle and I can't see into the basin from the saddle. It's kind of flat right there. And I'd have to get over the edge and peek in the basin. And I thought, you know, if he's moved even at normal pace, he's got to be close by here. I, I can't be moving around. I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to sit here all morning. And, you know, maybe, maybe he'll feed through. And even in my mind, I'm thinking he could have beat me through it because once he goes through that saddle, he drops off into some North face um, strips of timber and it's so steep. You can't really see down in there. You know, this is more rifle country than it is archery country. And I thought I can't go down in there. I'll just spook him. All I can do is sit here. So I, I sat down, I, I, you know, I had an arrow knocked, you know, got comfortable and dude, I had only sat a couple of minutes and, and I heard him, I heard something walking below me. And, um, so as I turned and I, I just looked over the rim, just a little bit, I see big antlers coming up under the rim underneath me. I see the tops of those points and, you know, and I know it's him, you know, it's a big tall buck and everything. I'm like, Oh my gosh, here he comes. He's coming through. I had already ranged the saddle. Everything was between about 30 and 40 yards where he could cross. And there was a little dirt spot out in the middle of the saddle. I had ranged it at about 35. And, um, so I, I get ready. There's a blowdown in front of me. And, um, just, just as he goes behind the blowdown, I draw and I come up on one knee and he, saw something i don't i don't know he didn't look right at me but he put the brakes on and he turned just a little bit sideways and started looking back up towards me and of course i'm my eyes buried in my feet and um you know so my vision's restricted a little bit but i can tell by his body language that, well you know put it this way he's not gonna bed down you know he's yeah. he, he heard me he knew something you know he's at least looking around and he could go high full on running high alert any second here so um i can see that dirt spot out there that i that i told you about and he's just just a little bit before it and he's he's below me so these are all angle corrected yardages i'm talking about he's probably a little bit further than 35 yards but that's what i'm going to shoot him for and as i'm looking through my peep i'm having a hard time telling how quartered he is or or not i can't tell if he's quite broadside or quartered and so i find the crease and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I took my, uh, my, my 30, I had a 30 yard pin and I brought it right up the crease. And then I pulled back a little bit because I, I just, he just looked like not steep quartering, but quartering. And I thought I better not shoot him in the crease is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. So I, I let her rip. He just explodes. I mean, he goes three feet in the air and in the air, he spins like an acrobat and comes down on, on all fours running away from me 
and I see the arrow sticking out his opposite side flopping, like 90% of the arrow just hanging there as he's going away. And, dude, it looks good. It's, you know, just below about the height of the tip of his tail, you know, which is a good height. And I'm like, oh, man, I nailed him. I nailed him. You know, he's he is going to be down. In fact, I'm listening because you'll hear those big bucks hit the ground and roll. Yeah. You know, they're so heavy. And I'm listening. I'm hearing him going down through that basin. That basin's real rocky, shaly. You know, he's knocking crap over and everything. And, man, he kind of fades off in the distance. I'm like, yeah, he's dead. I know he's dead. So I've got cell signal. I'm like, well, I can't go walking down there yet. I'm going to call my old man. You know, my dad, he can't go hunting no more. So I try to bring him into all this stuff. I give him a call, talk, talk to him, talk about the shot, you know, talk about different things. And he said, you know, give him some time. He said, give him a couple of hours before you go down there. He says, because even though your height looks good, you don't really know if you hit him forward or back. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I said, and there's just this little thing in my gut is I don't know how much he was quartering. You know, I mean, he, I, I, I rushed the shot a little bit because he was on alert. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't confirm that, you know, and, and when they're quartering much, you need to aim for the opposite leg. And I'm like, yeah, I can't really say I did that either. I don't, I don't know that. So he was right. quartering away from you or to you? He was, he was quartering away. Okay. So gotcha. I should have shot the opposite leg is, 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 is what I'm, is what I'm thinking, okay. which is what I tried to do, which is, yep. you know, probably what I tried to do. And the reason I say this, I mean, this stuff is, these, these are memories in your mind and uh, that are made under stress. And so sometimes they're not real clear. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to remember how I remember it. All right. So if I'm a little all over the place, it's because it's a, it's a stressful situation. So I'm like, you're right, dad. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy the moment. I know he's dead. I'm just going to hang back. So I hang back for, I think I shot him at eight. And finally at 10 o'clock, I snuck down in that basin, had my stocking shoes on. I'm ready for a shot, you know, maybe see him in his bed, you know, but I'm expecting a, a dead deer. I find my arrow right away, you know, where he blew through that blow down. He broke off branches that big getting away from me. And uh, there's my arrow, no frothy blood, dark blood, just, well, not dark, just normal. And, um, and, 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 and this is key to the story. I'm colorblind. So dried blood looks brown to me. I have a really hard time picking up dried blood on the ground. And, you know, but I'm looking at the air. I'm like, well, you know, obviously, you know, this, 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 this deer got nailed. Um, but no, no pink blood is what I was hoping. Cause I tried to shoot him in the lungs that concerned me a little bit. So I moved down the mountain and over the first hour, I'm not really having any problem keeping up with him. I'm finding big drops of blood. But he goes about a hundred and some yards in that hour, which is getting pretty far. And, you know, I'm starting to get a creeping doubt here. And, and he gets into a rock slide, and which is hard to track him in because there's no, no, there's no soil. And, um, and, and again, because of my color blindness, I don't just see that blood, you know, gleaming on a rock like a, a normal color person. So it took me about another hour to get through that rock slide. And, and, you know, it's, I don't know, 75 yards wide or something, it's, you know, so we're, we're a couple hours now and I'm only at 150, 175 yards from where I shot him. Mm-hmm. And dude, I am, it, the blood's thinning out a little bit. And now I'm only finding it where he, where he makes a bound, where he comes down hard on a steep slope and it, you know, pushes some blood out, no spray, no nothing like that. So I tracked him until six o'clock that afternoon. And, you know, the last two or three hours we're talking hand and foot, you know, picking up leaves, looking at them and, and also texting my dad pictures. Like, is this blood, you know, is this red to you? You know, and, and, and do some of the texts. He's like, no, dude, he says that, that is not blood. You got to back up. You know I mean? This is a real struggle for me. Yeah. It always has been. So by 6 PM, 
I've lost his tracks. He got in, I'm tracking him now without blood. I'm tracking him by, by tracks in the dirt. He got in with a bunch of bucks where other bucks had been. I don't, he didn't run into a herd of bucks, but he got where other bucks had been. Mm -hmm. And so then I couldn't ferret his track out. So this is on Monday. So I'm like, okay, he's still, I'll bet he's still mortally wounded. So I'm, you know, I'm committing to just finding this buck. So I stayed five more days, but I hunted almost all day of those days in that same area. And, you know, the first 24 hours, I think I'm going to find the deer and I'm going to recover the meat. You know, that's totally possible. Well, after 24 hours pass, I'm like, well, that's not happening. And I'm now I'm, now I'm bird hunting, you know, I'm watching for birds and, you know, I, I pretty much had every raven and crow named in that area. You know, if I, <laughs> if I saw a raven, dude, I had the glass on him. I watch him fly. You know, there are so many times I hiked down to where I'd see birds on the ground and everything, you know, and I mean, this went on for five days, you know, on this main ridge. And this is a pretty open ridge where he got out onto. And, you know, I'm talking to dad every night who was a great tracker and um, he was a bear hunter. So bears are tougher than boiled owl crap. And they had to track a lot of them. And he's like, I think that deer's alive, Rob. He says, I think he hit him too far back. And, you know, I didn't want to admit that, but he's like, you know, he's right. I'm not finding him. He should be right here unless he just did the, the death march across two mountain ranges. You know, he's here somewhere. So that ended that hunt. Strike two. Got home all September, just bummed out, you know, just lost my chance, hoping the deer's alive. Early October rolls around. I'm trying to get excited for the rifle hunt. And I call Travis and to see if he wants to go. And at first he couldn't go. Um, so it was going to be me alone, which was kind of bumming me out, you know, cause this is, this stuff's emotional, you know, it, it's hard to lose a big deer you've worked hard for. And, but I'm, you know, my dad's like, you need to get back up there. He goes, there's a very good chance that buck's alive and you just need to go, you know, and even if he's not, maybe you'll find another one. So, you know, just doing my faithful duty rifle hunt gets pretty close. It opens on a Sunday. Travis calls me on Thursday night. He's like, dude, my wife canceled. I can go like, are you kidding me? I mean, dude, I just came alive. I mean, it was what, it was what I needed to just get me out of the dumps. And I'm like, okay, dude, let's go. You know, he's one of my favorite buck hunting buddies. And so we met at the trailhead and packed in on Saturday and uh Saturday night or Saturday, a storm hit. And so we were going to be hunting in snow and, um, we get up Sunday morning and it's fogged in. And, um, I wanted to go back up top and glass off into these little canyons where I'd seen where I'd been chasing that buck, just see if he was around. And, um, there's other guys that hunt there and they were there too. And, um, so it's, it's foggy that morning before it gets light. I'm like, you know what? Those guys are going to go up top, Travis. And it's just totally fogged in, you know, if it's fogged in and, you know, multiple people up there, we just don't have any advantage. I said, Let, let's stay low here. Let's stay below the fog line. I kind of know how to get into some of this lower country and, um, uh, let, let's just go do that. So we, we go over to this basin that that's pretty low, you know, where I shot the bucks, like 9,000 feet, this basin's like clear down at eight, you know, it's way off of the big mountain. and. Um, we're, uh, just as it's cracking light, we're on, we're on the rim of the Canyon and, um, we're tying the horses up and Travis is like, Hey dude, when we were riding along there, he says, you kind of got a little high on that Ridge. He goes, I could see into that basin that you wanted to hunt. Like, I know, dude, I shouldn't have been riding on that skyline. I kind of spaced off, you know, and hopefully I didn't spook any deer out of there. He goes, well, there was a deer across the basin. I'm sure I saw a deer feeding over there. It might've even been a buck. I'm like, really? Like, give me your mules. I'll go tie them up. You go back and look, you know, we don't have any time to waste. Those bucks are not out very long. So I move forward like 80 yards and I'm tying the horses up and Travis, he just walked back like 50 yards and 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 I can hear him going, big buck, big buck. 
you know, he's like 80 yards away from me, hundred yards. I'm like, is he seeing big buck? Oh my gosh. He's already found a big buck. Holy crap. I can't believe it. So I tie the mules up and the horses and I go sprinting back over to him. He's like, yeah, dude. He goes, it's a nice buck. And, um, he, and I said, okay, where's he at? He told me I get him in my eights, you know, cause when two guys are hunting together, you know, that's your advantage is don't lose track of the deer. And it seems like you wouldn't, but you do, you lose track of them. And so, uh, Travis tells me where he's at as a guy. Okay. I got him, dude. I said, get your spotter out and phone scope this deer. And, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, I just want to make sure if this is him or not, you know, maybe it's another deer. We want to, we want to know what we're shooting. Yeah. And, uh, so Travis gets his phone scope out and I'm watching and dude, as I'm watching, I'm like, you know, that, that deer has kind of the same shape rack as the buck I shot. And, you know, I'm looking at eight powers at like 900 yards and, and it's, and it's foggy and dark, you know, the sun's not even probably barely coming up and then at cloud cover. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, that's definitely a nice buck. And that could even be him. So Travis shoots a phone scope video of like 10 seconds of him and pulls his phone off of the, uh, off of the spotter and hands it to me. And then I say, okay, you watch the deer. And dude, I, I hit the play button on that video. And in two seconds, I knew it was that buck. Oh, Same man. buck. Bo, it's him dude and he's alive and well man it's been what uh 35 days since i shot him and and he's over there just kicking ass you know he's eating he's yeah. there's no problem mr no limp no nothing i'm like travis that's him dude he's like really you think it is i i had my phone so i hurry up scroll back a little bit hit the video that i shot on that ridge and i held them side by side all travis did was look over look at the phones he goes yep that's him and I, and I said, oh, dude, I can't believe it. And I'm like, well, hey, you spotted him, spotter gets first shot. And he's like, dude, this is your buck. Are you sure? I said, dude, you spotted him. I just want to be there for the autopsy. You know, I'm going to find out what happened. Yeah. Why did this deer get away? And plus, dude, this is a long range shot. I'm not a long range hunter. And, and I'm like, can you shoot from here? He's like, not right here, but a little bit forward. If we get down to 800 yards, he goes, I see a spot right there we can shoot from. I'm like, okay, let's, let's just do it. So, you know, and we had talked about crossing the basin and try to get over above the buck, but he's already right at Timberline. And I'm like, man, by the time we get over there, he's going to be in there. You know, yeah. we, we may lose track of him. And even though it had snowed, he was so far down the mountain, he's just in a little bit of snow. He doesn't have a lot of snow. There's a lot of bare spots over there. And um, uh, I hope I'm not going too long with no, the story, bro. You're, no, okay. I, I, I'm in it. <laughs> I'm in okay, it. Okay, so, so I'm like, <laughs> dude, I, I, you know, I'm not a long-range hunter, but I think I'm with you on this one. I think we got to shoot from this side of the canyon. And, you know, Travis, is, you know, he's all dialed in with that. You know, he has a wind meter on his hat. You know, I mean, the dude's a walking weather station. He knows the, the rotation of the earth and what's going to happen to the bullet when he shoots it. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm down with it. I said, but let's try to get a little bit closer. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to get set up right here. The buck is not – the buck is – eating and he's got his butt towards us so i've got a few minutes and so i i peeled off of the rim and i went down about 75 yards and i found an opening that put us about seven seven fifty from the buck and so i hiked back up to travis i didn't even have to go all the way to him i just hiked up to the rim and, and i told him right down here dude i said there's a, a place we can get a little bit closer so you know that's always the the gold standard get get closer so he gathers up his gear and we peel off the rim and go down to this spot and you know travis looks around and we're we're on a, a like a 30 degree slope on one side of the canyon, the buck's on like a 45-degree slope, which is steep on the other side of the canyon. And so Travis has to find a way to, to build a rest so that he can shoot yeah. across the canyon, you know, because otherwise everything's pointing down. So he's like, okay, dude, I, I can shoot over this log. He's got a Kafaru striker pack. He lays it on the log. And now I'm still watching the deer. And, 
you know, he's not going anywhere yet. And, and, and Travis getting all set up, he's ranging. He's like, okay, dude, 730 yards. He goes, this is it. This is, this is as close as we can get. And I agree. He's right. If we drop any further down, we're going to get below the line of sight where we can see the buck and we're going to get into too much timber. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's just, let's just get him from here. So I'm man on the spotter. Travis is coaching me on what to watch for when he shoots long range shooting, um, is, is all about vapor trail and correcting your shot if you miss. And so, you know, he's explaining that to me. He's like, dude, if you see the vapor trail and I miss, you know, he says, don't tell me like, Oh dude, a foot to the right. He says, that doesn't mean anything. He says, give me references to the size, to the body of the deer. So half a deer low, you know, half a deer, right. You know, talk to me that way. He goes, cause that's how I'll be thinking. I'm like, okay. And so as I'm watching the buck, dude, he disappears into a little finger of timber that's, you know, no wider than your kitchen. And which, which you'd think you could still be able to see into, but I couldn't. And I'm like, dude, I've lost track of him. I can't really see him. And you know, Travis is trying to watch him through his scope. And I, you know, I've got a big Travis Swarovski spotter, you know, so I've got all the advantages and I'm like, I cannot see him right now, but I don't think he left that strip of timber. We're going to have to sit here for a little while and it's cold, you know, 15, 20 degrees. So we're trying to stay warm and we keep watching. And I finally see a deer leg and a tail. And I'm like, okay, that's, we only saw one deer. And, and, and I thought, well, that's probably him or he's with another deer and I'm, I'm fine focusing in and dude, I can find that. And I can see a big, a big antler. And I'm like, boy, by the position of that body, that deer is laying down. And it took me about five more minutes. I had to move around a little bit and I'm like, okay, Travis I found him and he's laying down. He's bedded down right at the top of that, 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 that uh, timber uh, finger. And in that timber finger, there's a big dead tree probably the oldest tree in the strip and it's dead and the top of it's a big crown and the, 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 the crown, the very top branches of the crown. If you look in those and then just look beyond them, they're pointing right to where he's laying. It took Travis like four seconds. He's like, okay, I got him, dude. I can see him. You're right. Okay. But all Travis can see is his butt. And I can see a little bit of his antler, but no vitals. We have no vital shot. You know, and Travis is joking around, you know, I, I could shoot him in the butt. I'm like, no, no, no. He wasn't serious. But yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to do this right, man. So, so we're just going to wait for this deer to get up. And so, you know, it had probably been about, you know, we probably went 20 minutes without seeing him. And now we've seen him. It's probably been another 20 minutes and we're, you know, what do we do? Gosh, all we can do is wait. It's just a big waiting game. So we just settle in, you know, we're trying to stay warm. You know, it's, I mean, this, this is, this is, this is tough hunting because if you get cold, then you can't shoot, you know, especially long range. Yeah. So we're trying to stay warm and everything. And I'm watching the deer and dude, he is just, he's not sleeping. He's just, just looking around, just looking around like big bucks do. And I'm, thinking, you know what he wants to do? He wants to make the, make sure the coast is clear and he's going to go back in that timber and he's going to bed down at 50 yards and he's going to fall asleep and feel secure, you know, that, that nothing's around. So I'm watching him and, you know, just, just enjoying the moment. Well, two hours, Bo, almost two hours. We're still sitting there and we're right at the fog line. The fog line keeps, keeps rolling down the mountain. And sometimes you can't even really see the buck. It's obscured. And then the fog would lift a little bit. We don't have a lot of wind that we can tell. And so Travis is kind of doping the wind and everything. And, um, we're, you know, just going through this whole process. And, and in that time, you know, I'm talking to Travis, looking at the scope, talking to Travis, I look back in the scope and the deer is gone. Like, dude, he's up. He's somewhere. He got up. He got up while I was talking to you. So Travis gets on the, on the rifle and we both see him at the same time. He had gotten up. He'd walked about 10 yards to the right and he was feeding, um, not super open, but we could see the whole deer. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, dude, there he is. He's like, yeah, I got him. I got him. He goes, okay, I'm going to shoot. And I said, okay, man, take your time. 
And as, as I'm, as I'm looking at the deer, the deer's got his right side to me. And remember I shot him in the right side and, and now he's, now he's clear right about halfway back, uh, two thirds up the body, great big dried spot of hair right where I shot him about the size of a fist, maybe a baseball. And I could see just a dirty, dried up, gunky spot right there on that deer. Yeah. That's where I hit him. My dad nailed it, dude. He, he wasn't even there. And he knew I shot that deer too far back. That's what happened. And so, you know, this this is like just three seconds in my mind of, oh, wow, yeah, I can see where yeah. I hit him. Oh, my gosh. And kaboom, Travis shoots, you know, and just just rattles the mountain, you know, and, 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 and I, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I got a job to do. I'm supposed to be watching, you know, d- d- does he hit this buck? And I'm looking through the spot scope and <laughs> dude, no vapor trail. I don't see a vapor trail. And, and the buck does not go down, dude. The buck just lifts his head real quick. and starts looking around and, and, and I tell Travis, no vapor trail. He's like, what? No vapor trail. I said, dude, I, I, I saw nothing serious. He's like, okay, I'm gonna shoot again. And the buck, the buck, just as Travis starts to shoot, the buck takes off walking. And he's walking away from us and he's not running yet, but you know, that's kind of one advantage of long range shooting is a lot of times it doesn't spook him on that first shot. And, uh, uh, Travis can see him and then he disappears in the, in the timber. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. And I'm like, but I can still see him moving back there. Oh, oh dude, he's going to come out on that little slope where the snow is. So Travis gets over there and that buck walks out and, you know, he's really alert. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and, and the buck comes out broadside. Boom! Travis lets her rip, dude. Buck just standing still, nothing. And I'm like, dude, no vapor trail. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, dude, no, I, nothing. I said, you got to be shooting over him because he's not, he's not jumping around. It's not spooking him. Yeah. Shoot below him, usually they take off. And so Travis racks another one in, and I'm watching the deer. Boom! I see the vapor trail this time. Just perfect arc right at the deer, headed right for the vitals. Boom! Drops in about one foot below his hoof. And, 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 and blows dirt everywhere and mud and snow. And that buck comes unglued, turns and heads over the mountain right into the trees. And I'm like, dude, vapor trail, full body deer low. Travis is like, are you, and he just sits up on his rifle and looks at me. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, dude, there must be more wind over there. I don't know what happened, but I saw the vapor trail that time. And and I don't think you were shooting under him before or he would have taken off running. We saw what he did. So, you know, we're just bummed. We're just like, oh, I cannot believe this deer just got away. Again. I'm like, you know what, Travis? <laughs> There's snow on the ground, dude. I said, we need to get over there. Um, you know, number one, make sure we didn't hit him. I'm, you know, 99.9% sure we didn't. I said, let's get over there. There's still a chance to get this buck. You know, we're shooting from 730 yards away. You know, there's, 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 there's a chance he's going to go over there and settle down. So we go over there, dude, we get on that slope and you're almost like Spider-Man trying to get up the slope. It's so flipping steep where he was, where he was feeding. And we got up to his bed. I found where his bed was under that, by that big snag. And I could see where his tracks come out big tracks, you know, good, good looking tracks immediately recognized him. Cause I had tracked him in September and you know, every deer has a little bit, they're kind of the same, but kind of different. I could just tell like, oh, that's him. And, uh, so we got on the tracks and we tracked over to where Travis's third shot was. And I thought there's gotta be a bullet hole right here in the, in the mud. And sure enough, I found it about the size of a softball and stuck my finger up in there and felt around. Sure enough, felt a metal jacket pulled it out and here's Travis's bullet, you know, and I hand it to him and he's just frowning like shit. And I'm like, yeah, dude, well, you know, we know we didn't hit him. There's his tracks. Let's kill this buck. And, uh, I told Travis, you get behind me. I'll stay on the track. You know, you get those bucks in the timber. It's, it's really hard for one guy to keep track of the track and get a shot and you know, all that stuff. I said, you, you stay behind me, you know, 10, 15 yards, whatever. Just, just keep, keep behind me. You, you just 
just look at me and look at the track or look out ahead of us in case that buck gets up. You know, maybe we'll get a shot at him. You know, he's, he's spooked, but I can tell by his stride, he's not that spooked. Yeah. You know, he's kind of trotting and sure enough, dude, we don't go 50 yards to hundred yards and we get over the, Oh, hold on. I got to shut this phone off. That didn't kill our meeting. Dude. Nope. You're good. Okay. Good deal. Um, so we, we get into the timber, dude, and sure enough, this butt goes from kind of trotting and, you know, a little bound, and now he's, it's just a fast walk. And I'm like, okay, dude, he's already settled down. He doesn't know what happened. This is, this is, this is our ace in the hole right here. So keep your eyes filled. Well, we get over the rim, and that slope is super steep, too. It's like 30, 35 degrees, so, you know, really hard to walk on. You're falling down and everything, and lots of blowdowns and stuff. So I'm having to go around the blowdowns, and Travis is – having to try to follow me and you know this goes on for like an hour but we're staying with the deer not not an hour maybe more like half an hour 40 minutes and 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 i'm looking up under some 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 uh some some boughs off of of a big douglas fir they kind of come down and they're curved at the bottom and 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 it's kind of dark back in there and i'm like man that's like a perfect place for that buck to be standing and you know i'm glassing back in there there's a lot of shadows and i can't see anything but the tracks are headed right in there so i'm you know i'm signaling travis be ready dude right here man right here this buck is right down here you know even though i don't know he is i want to i want to i want to hunt like yeah so we 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 don't blow it you know get get, stand there with with our guns up our butts and not get a shot at him so as i move into that dark timber dude i spot a bed i can see a a bed melted out and there's you know again we're not a lot of snow you know but they're under this this tree where i had not melted there was a, a a bed and so I showed Travis, here's the bed, you know, come down here and we're looking at it. And at first we thought the buck had jumped up out of the bed and took off like, oh crap, he saw us, you know, and, 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 and we, you know, we've already blown our first chance. We know, we, you know, at best we're going to get a second chance, but if they see us and, and he get up, gets up and runs, you know, that's just like a, a, a ticket to go, you know, he's gone. Well, we get looking, dude, he did not jump out of that bed. I'm like, look, dude, his first step is right out of this bed. There's no pressure release in the track. You know, there's not a bunch of spray. I'm like, I think he just, I just listened for a while. And then he just got up and walked, walked on, you know, he was checking his back trail. Yeah. Travis agreed. I'm like, okay, dude, we're still in the game here. Let's, let's keep at it. So, so we, we keep following him and we're in broken timber and we can see anywhere from maybe 30 to a hundred yards at any given time. And, um, you know, Travis is, you know, trying to keep his gun up and, and walk and be safe and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm following the track and, and you, 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 so many of my tracking jobs, you're going to hear this, but he gets in where there's been a bunch of other deer that morning. You know, I don't think he went with the deer, but other deer had crossed yeah. right there. So it's getting really hard to track him. And, you know, I'm, and he's got a big track. All the other tracks are kind of small. So when I do find his track, I'm like, yeah, that's him. That's him. That's it. You know, we're, we're, we're in. Well, dude, this slope is so stinking steep. It's so hard to stand up on. It just wears you out. You know, you even to squat down and look at a track, like it's hard to get up you know and so we we go on for another probably 100 yards we've probably tracked the buck about 250 yards now and maybe in an hour and 15 minutes you know so it's been a while you know and and dude i'm just telling travis dude i'm I'm losing his track and all these deer you know i need some help and so travis starts making circles on that slope and you know i'll mark the last track and he'll circle up ahead of me and we did that for maybe a half an hour and we might have made another 25 30 yards you know and then we just lost it he just got below the snow line where the mm-hmm. snow was melted out enough that we couldn't even see his his track in the snow and usually that means mud but this slope just didn't have a lot of mud on it and so dude we lost him we flipped and lost him and we just stood there just 
couple of grown men just about crying. Um, uh, but it was, it is what it is. And I told Travis, you know, we, 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 at least we had the chance, bro. So that's strike three, bro. Right there. Three strikes, dude. in you know, less than 12 months on big bucks. And so I had to take Travis back up to, 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 to camp that day. We, we, he had to leave the next day. We, we cleared off. We hunted the top the, that night and the next morning and everything. And then Travis had to pull out, but I'm like, Hey, at least I know this buck is here and he's alive and well. And I stayed nine more days. And, um, in that nine days, dude, I went through a lot of emotional stuff and a lot of, a lot of God talk and, you know, and, and, and dude, I'm a God fearing Christian man and, and I love the Lord, but dude, I was a little bitter over losing that buck. And, you know, in that time, I kind I kind of came to peace with it, that, you know what, just the stuff we started off the podcast with, we can't win all the time. Yeah. I can't just blame God. You know, if I'm not winning, no, God has blessed me. God has made it. You know, I can, I get a hunt. I have a beautiful family. I mean, I've got, I got, I can't complain is what I'm saying, man. And, and I think I had been kind of getting down in my spirit, you know, a little bit of complaining and just kind of, you know, seeing that buck again. And even though he got away and then spending that, you know, I said, I stayed nine more days. I stayed seven more days. It was a nine day hunt. So I stayed seven more days. I just kind of healed up inside. And, and, and I just knew, you know, it, whether I get one or whether I don't that doesn't matter. And I'm at a point in my life where I, I, I just need to be more thankful that I get to do this stuff. And so, dude, I left that mountain victorious, just all good for 15 years ago, dude, I'd have been down in the mouth for three months and I don't want to be that guy, you know, big buck hunting's tough. Life is tough. And, and, you know, life is full of blessings and life is full of downtimes. And, and, and I don't, I don't want to miss something God is sending me to be a better hunter. And you know what, dude, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have stayed on that mountain seven more days. I would have quit. I'd have been like, well, we missed him, you know, bad luck. I wounded him. Not meant to be. No, I didn't. I thought, man, I'm, this is my chance. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything in my power that I can. And, uh, so, so anyways, that's what the slump is all about. That's that, that 2020, 2021 season, two seasons has not happened since 97. I'm not punching a tag on a big deer with multiple opportunities. Now, remember, I went and spent another week in Colorado a few weeks after I had a fantastic hunt with Scotty Thompson, you know, saw some good bucks, uh, no misses, no wounds, just no, no opportunities to get the ones that we saw. So the slump continues, but that's okay, man. Yeah. No, There's that, a lot more to life than filling your tags. Oh, uh, but yeah, that, that hunt, oh, that deer specifically one, hopefully you can turn them up this year and that mm-hmm. he, that would be, uh, just adding to that story. You know, you, you were talking about, um, the other gentleman earlier that had the four year journey from monster monster mule. What was his name again? Yes. Yeah, Brian Letourner. Br- Brian Letourner about his, you know this is what maybe that's going to turn into this, but it's just going to be the the few year journey for yep. it. So that, that's my hope and my prayer. And well, if it does, great. If it doesn't, oh well. At least I had a chance. So I have a cure. I have a kind of a tactic related question. You know, after you lost that track, what what did you do to try to get on him again? Did you go back to where like glass in the area you originally saw him, or try to like glass that basin that you were in, even though it sounded like it was a little bit thicker? What what did you do after that? Great question, dude. Okay, so um, that that is basically one giant mountain with an east west facing ridge, and so we were hunting. So, excuse me, an east-west running ridge. So, an east-west running ridge will have a north slope and a south slope. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So where we had, where, where, where Travis had missed him and we had tracked him was kind of on a, a Northeast facing slope, broken timber, some deer feed, you know, get some sunlight so it can grow some feed. And so, um, I didn't go right back to that place, you know, cause we had just shot at the deer in that Canyon. I thought, well, he's not going to be back on this slope. So the, the, after, um, uh, that day, Travis and I got up on top and, uh, you know, attempted to glass down into some of that country that we had tracked him into, which is a couple of more canyons and, and, and basins and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, this is such big country. Like when you're trying to move around in snow at, nine, 10,000 feet and 30 degree slopes, you know, you don't just go where you want to go. No. When you want to go there. You know, you, you got to work for it. In fact, I wrote an article called the walking stick, you know, and that's, that's about that, you know, that you got you, if you're in the right spot, you're probably going to need a trekking pole or a walking stick. And so literally took seven days to cover that whole, um, East West running Ridge. Um, and I did most of that just glassing off the top and, you know, relocating other deer, seeing if he was with them, you know, there were some other hunters around. So I kind of had to hunt around those guys and everything. And obviously I wanted to keep track track of those guys because they might get him. And I wanted to know if they got him, you know? And so, you know, I'm watching those guys a lot, talking to him on the trails and stuff. And, um, so that's what I did over the next seven days. I just continued to break that country down. And after about three days, I started going directly back to where Travis had shot at him. Cause I was starting to see bucks in there again, other bucks, which was getting my hopes up. You know, these were two, three-year-old bucks. Um, uh, but I thought, you know, he, he, he could, he could feel, feel good again about coming back here because other deer are starting to visit. Of course he didn't. Yeah. And, um, uh, and the last morning, you know, I'd been watching those bucks from a distance. I, and you know, they're, they're timber bucks are pretty close to timber. You're not lit. You're not seeing every deer that's there. So the last morning I still hunted with the wind in my favor from the bottom of the Canyon, which is a tough way to hunt mule deer from below them, but it was the only way to get in there with the wind in my favor. So I still hunted up into where I had been seeing those deer it took like two hours to move like 150 yards just to get in there, just to what I call pussyfoot in there. And, um, uh, and sure enough, about 10 o'clock I'm seeing butts and, you know, pieces of deer and, you know, here's a nice four point bedded down at the bottom of a rock slide. You know, I'm right in, I'm, I'm muzzleloader range, you know, I'm right in them. Yeah. And I, and I just, I just, um, scooted up under a windblown spruce and just sat there and tried to stay warm and let these deer move around. And, and, and it's pretty secure right there. You know, that's why I had to still hunt into it. And I thought, man, he could be right here. Well, that's just deer hunting. You know, I hunted all morning. I had to get out of there before dark. So I, I, by about two o'clock, I figured I'd seen all the bucks that were there. You know, they get up and move around, trade beds, stuff like that. And, and I, and I backed out of there. Um, none of them ever knew I was there. You know, that's, that's how I like to deer hunt and, um, just, just left them to fight another day, but he never did show up in there. And so, but that's why I left that mountain feeling pretty good. Cause I'm like, you know, I did everything I could. I hunted yeah. the last minute that I could, I didn't get down in the mouth. You know, the, the younger me would have, it's not that I won't again, but I just, just learned that, man, once you quit, you quit, you're done. You know, and my, what my dad always said is, oh, don't quit. Just quit for a little while and then try again, yeah. you know? And so, so I'm learning that a little, little bit more, you know, these, these things are going to happen. So anyways, that's, that's what I did that next, that next seven days was just kept turning it over. And I feel like I, I feel like he was still there. There's enough timber there to hide him. 
Yeah. You know? um, I don't think he just vacated the country. He doesn't have to vacate the country. There's just so many places to hide, but I felt like I did a good job. You know, I didn't just, just give up and leave. No, that's, that's cool. I always, cause how many times us as hunters, whether it's whitetails or Western hunting or mule deer hunting, whatever it's, you get into those situations and then you're like, okay, well, what do I do now? That's why I asked that question. Cause mm-hmm. like I've been in that situation where I've been, you know, tracking a whitetail buck in the snow and then you get to that and there you lose the track of some sorts. And it's like, all right, do I, you know, do I sit here? Do I try to move to you know, mm-hmm. get ahead of where I think, you know, it's all those types of things that run through your head in that decision point. So, um, and I, I think that's, I think it definitely shows, um, you know, the amount of time you spent mule deer hunting over the years to have that, I don't know if it's maturity level or whatever to, to keep, to keep doing that and keep going. And, and because otherwise, you know, if you leave, like you said, you're sour about it. You never felt like you, you did it all where you can, mm-hmm. you know, go to bed at night, mm-hmm. you know, still thinking about them a little bit, but, uh, feeling like, oh, yeah. uh, feeling like you left it all there. <laughs> yeah, I did. And, and, and part of that was just, just healing up with God a little bit and recognizing that, you know, even when you don't get them, it's a blessing that we get on. We are, we are so fortunate and I know I don't want to ever sour that. You know, I don't want to ever be, you know, that sourpuss and no, man, just to get to hunt, man. I mean, you and I right now, we'd go hunting today if we could, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so why, why, why be sour? Just get back out there. You're going to get your butt kicked mule deer hunting. You're going to get knocked down, kicked around. That's just how it is. I think that's what makes it so awesome when it comes together is, you know, it's, it's hard. And so when it comes together, then, then it's just that much more satisfying. So, so I, I'm in, put me in coach. I'm ready for the next, next opportunity. Well, and, and you know, there's one other thing I wanted uh, to go back to is like when you were talking about uh, looking through your peep and you have that kind of like obstructed view, your tunnel vision there. Last year I was in West Virginia and I was spot and stock whitetail hunting in the coal mines and I got in on this buck and got, I was looking through my peep, he's coming in and it was like, well, I thought he was 33 yards when he started hitting this scrape and he ended up being 38. But when I was looking through my peep, he got up on his hind legs and he hit the scrape and he came down and he turned like really hard quarter mm-hmm. two. And when you're looking through that peep, I knew he was slightly quarter two, but not. And the only reason that I knew he was more than, than I thought is because there was a camera guy behind me and the camera doesn't doesn't make a mistake on what you're seeing. And I was like, you know, and, and I shot and I had the yardage wrong and I I'd clipped him right underneath and basically the leg and brisket and underneath there. And uh-huh. we, we tracked him that night and the whole next day and that buck lived and based off the footage mm-hmm. and everything. But what it came down to was like, I would never realize that because I'm, t- you know, looking through that peep uh, that it yes. was, you yeah, you were tunnel visioned on it. And like looking back at it, you're looking at the camera. I'm like, man, I wouldn't have shot right then. I would have waited till he was at a better body position to, to be able to do that. But you know, that's a, that's a lesson learned and, and, uh, you, that you learn more from those situations than you do the ones that you get. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where the traditional guys, um, have uh, a little advantage over us you know they're shooting with with both eyes open or at least one eye open and no no obstruction because yeah when you you were looking through a three-eighths inch or a quarter inch hole you know it changes everything and so that that was a little bit of you know kind of getting healed up from this experience is thinking that through is you know i should have I should have just moved my release over a little bit and tipped my head and just looked which way is he standing? Mm-hmm. That's easy to say on a podcast. It's hard to do on the mountain when you just, you know, he was amped up. He wasn't like tensed up, ready to bound, but he knew something was up. And so the clock was ticking, but 
I, I still had time. Yeah. I should have, I, I rushed the shot. I should have taken a little bit more time and he was not as quartered as I thought, because that after watching him in the spot and scope, when Travis is getting ready for a shot, um, my dad is like, he, you know, being a bear hunter taught him so much about shooting angles because bears are tough to kill. You don't have a lot of room for error like you do on an elk. And so, you know, he nailed that, man, you must've hit him high and back. And, and you know, part of that was too, was, you know, he's asking me questions like, well, when you were cut, when you were tracking him, was there, was there guts on the arrow? Was there any guts on the ground? Any, you know, and I'm like, no, nothing. And so, you know, he, he narrowed it down to you hit him high and you hit him back. Sure enough, looking through that spotting scope at that, dried clump of hair on that buck that's exactly where it was and so the buck was obviously not quartered as much as i thought he was and i i held back when i should not have held back and just just a rookie mistake you know but by the grace of god dude he's alive and well maybe you know i don't know if he made it through the winter or not but you know maybe maybe we'll get another crack at him you know and maybe we'll have a brian Laturner story and i hope so um the downside of all that dude is whatever reason over the years i have not found a lot of bucks from year to year you know it's i think i added it up one time it's about 20 percent of the bucks i killed are are bucks that were carry over from a previous okay. year so 80 percent of the time i don't find it. yeah so but you know anyways i'm I, i'm with you that's hey, what i'm looking i think to. i think be- right now it's a nice morning there that he's out he's you know he's doing a little bit of feeding the snow's coming yeah. down he's out there he's feeding on some green stuff and he's moving himself back up into the high country you I'm, got it dude. i'm telling you that's just what i see him <laughs> Keep doing, it but. coming, man. Hit me with a text here in about three weeks. Yeah. And just say, dude, I, I just got this vision, dude. And he's actually bigger, too, man. I saw him feed and he lifted his head up and he's bigger. Yeah. You're right. That's the stuff that keeps a guy going. It's been a wet spring. He's got these, he's, he's doing has, well. Yeah. You know, he's doing well. So <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. Our, our minds are a powerful tool. They are. are they not? Yeah, dude, I like what the Bible says. As a man thinketh, so he becomes. Yes, I I couldn't agree with that anymore. Well, <laughs> Robbie, thank you for coming on again and talk to me there. I love it's obvious you're an author the way you tell stories and are able to do that. Like thank I you. I love it. I love uh, uh, being able to have you on. So you're you're welcome back anytime, man. Well, well after you, you shoot man. this Sometimes buck, I get after you shoot, after you shoot this buck, you have to promise that you'll come back on. You got a date, dude. I promise you. I'm happy to come on and, and tell the story. And dude, whenever I'm deep into those stories, sometimes I'm like, man, am I losing people here? No, you know, I just get talking and talking and talking. And 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 I you know, I guess I'm used to my wife who's not a hunter, man. I could never get away with a 30 minute story with her. You know, she'd be over there sleeping, you know. So so thanks for your graciousness on sticking with me. Well, I was visualizing it. Like I I know exactly what this basin looks like now. I can picture mm-hmm. the tree that he was laying under. I can picture where he went up over the ridge. And as you got into that other, I got it all in my head. So excellent, dude. Excellent. Man. <laughs> well, and if you need the re- the the written version of that story, it's probably why I can tell that story so well. Is you know, there's the go read the slump. It's yeah. the last story in my book. Yes, read the whole book and tell everyone where you can find the book because now at this point, it'll, it'll when this comes out, it'll be released. The book will be out so they, anybody can go check it out and purchase it. So tell people where they can find that. Amazon, man, they, they rule the world for a reason. They are just good at everything. And, and so um, that's who's publishing the book. And so it'll be available um, in the Amazon store. Just just um, search uh, Robbie Denning, Hunting Big Mule Dairy. Both my books will come up. I um, encourage you to buy the first one if you haven't. Uh, uh, read it before there's a, that like i said that's the whole tips and tactic angle and um and then, then, then pick up the stories too um 
people always ask me about signed copies would love to do that, but I can't move as fast as Amazon. Amazon doesn't offer the signed copies. So the way that works is we have to get in um, our inventory into the rock slide store and, and then we can start shipping. And so I'm usually probably two weeks to a month behind those guys before that's going to happen. So yeah. if, you, if people need the book right away, definitely go to Amazon. If not, the rock slide store should have it probably mid July somewhere in there. Okay. I'll have it in there and then I can start getting signed copies out. And if any of you guys are coming to the Western, uh, summit with uh, lampers i'll be speaking there i'm going to bring a box of books up there as long as amazon can get them to me before i leave and i'll i'll have some for you guys too oh awesome man i uh i look forward to getting to pick up a copy myself and reading along with it and and everyone else check out rock slide obviously become a member on there uh rock slide youtube instagram the whole bit is there anything else anywhere else you want to direct anybody dude i'm putting you in my phone right now to make sure you get a copy I sent you one of the other one, dude. Anytime I go on a podcast, at least I can do send the, send the host a copy. Um, uh, I'll, I'll get you uh, I'll get you one coming probably mid July or so when I get my inventory in and everything. So so uh, so yeah, I really and I appreciate you letting me talk about the book, dude. I mean, I I can do some of the stuff in part because my book sells, and so I I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you coming on, Robbie. I really do. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.